Well, good morning, everybody. Already just a great morning. Thank you, Andy and Cherie, just for, for leading us so well and uh, just worship and helping us kind of cast our hearts, affection, and minds attention on our God this morning. And I love that you're all here. I love that we can come into a place kind of in different uh, aspects of our, of our journey of life as well as our spiritual journey and to know that we're all in a different place, but yet God wants to meet us right where we are. And I want you to know that wherever you are, this is a safe place to be there. And, um, and so I pray this morning that we're able just to bring all of our understandings to the truth of God uh, because it is good and it is, uh, it is worth our lives. So, um, you know, this week, I don't know if Andy said it or not, this week we're, he did say it, we're kicking off a quick two-week series. We just finished up Romans for the spring. We'll pick it back up in September on um, God's glorious provision this week, and then next week, Kurt Kiefer, one of our other elders, will be, um, will be teaching on our, our stewardship of all that God has given. So it's a really, a really um, I think it's a great kind of two-weeker and uh, really important for us. Uh, and, and, you know, when we think about um, this idea of God's glorious provision for us, we're kind of asking this question and looking into, you know, what God provides for us. And what we do with what he provides, that's really these two weeks. What does God provide for us, and what do we do with what he provides? And, and these may be familiar topics, whether in term, like you're used to these terms of provision and stewardship, or just in the fact that we have to kind of make choices about what we do with what we have. But these, so this is probably a familiar topic, but it's also a pretty difficult topic for us to kind of navigate. And, and so, you know, as we think about God's provision, you know, sometimes our minds go to this thought of, of, of what we're lacking. Um, and, and I was thinking about that, just kind of what is it for me that I often feel like I'm lacking? Or what do you feel like you're lacking? And, and you know, when we think about that question, is, is what comes to mind for you material? The material things, which is where we often kind of start when we think about provision and specifically God's provision. You know, the, the things of job, of money, of kind of the comfort of life, the comfortable living, having a house over our heads, having, having enough sustenance, having space to, to, to kind of recreate and have fun. Like all those things are kind of the comfort of life. Do we have enough margin to breathe with what we have? You know, these, these tangible material things. But obviously when we think about God's provision, it also goes beyond that. It goes further than that. You know, is, is the thing that you're lacking a sense of, of belonging, of relationship? Do you have people around you that you feel care for you? Is that the need you feel is not met? Or do you have someone to care for? Is that the need you feel is not met? Or is it, is it some kind of emotional stability, mental emotional stability? Is that what you're lacking when you think about what God provides? Or is it that spiritual vitality and wholeness that we feel this longing to turn to God for? Those are all things, when we think of God providing for us, those are things that come to mind. Those are things that should come to mind because those are things that he provides. So that's what we're going to kind of dig into. That's why this is difficult, because we, 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 we talk about God being a good God and a providing God, but yet we feel so much kind of shortfall of what we need. So that's where we're at today. We've all felt the press kind of from the gap of what we feel we need and what we actually have. We've, we've felt that. We've felt that discomfort. So as we look at God's glorious provision to us today, my prayer is that we go deeper into the reality of our, of our contentment and our purpose in trusting Him. So there's kind of where we're, that's our setup for the day. I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump in and get rolling. Um, God, we love you. Um, we um, thank you for a chance 
to gather this morning uh, as, as people along the way, Lord, to gather around faith, whether, whether we are those who have surrendered and confessed Christ as Savior and Lord and have found that redemption and, and life in you, or those who are kind of, you know, seeking and, and asking questions. And Lord, um, we just want to surrender and kind of bring our understandings to you this morning. We thank you that you welcome us as we are, and every one of us, you promise not to leave there, but to bring us to the fullness of purpose of what you created for, as you create what you created us for, as you created us in love for your glory, God. Um, so, Lord, just now work in this time. Speak through me. Speak in spite of me. Lord, take my words. Catch them on fire by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we can not just learn something for our intellect, but also be transformed more into your likeness, God. And so, Lord, we love you. We surrender this time to you. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians 4, uh, 19, to be specific. If you um, don't have a Bible, we'll have the stuff on the screen. We'll have the scripture on the screen. Um, you can also look under a chair near you. There's a Bible there. You can use that. If you don't have a Bible, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. And we also use the YouVersion Bible app. Um, you can click on more at the bottom right. You'll see events pop up, touch events, and then there'll be a Bridge Montrose thing there, and there's all this text and some questions there to help you in further study. Um, so there's a few ways that you can follow along today. But Philippians 4.19. And so like I said, we have felt the press of the gap, of you know that gap where we feel that we see what we need, but yet we don't feel like we have what we need, Right? So our answer to that tension is our thesis passage for today, and it's this passage of Philippians 4, 19 through 20. And it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to read it again because it's just that good. Like Andy said, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That passage beautifully describes God's glorious provision to us. It speaks of the promise and the assurance, and it says, He will absolutely supply every need of yours. And this is, I mean, like, this is challenging because, like, again, I, all the time, am going without things that I feel like I need. So do you believe this claim? I have a hard time with it. Do you believe it? If you look at your life and it's hard for you to say yes, and again, if we're all honest, we all have a time that it is difficult to say yes. I want to submit to you, to all of us, to me, that we need to understand who God is and what he created us for. If we want to truly, truly abide in this promise, if we truly want to experience it and understand it, we really need to understand who God is and, who, and what he created us for. So we'll come back to this passage in a few moments. We're actually going to start somewhere else. In order for us to understand and actually abide in this glorious promise, we need to understand some things about God. The first thing we need to understand about God, if we are to understand his provision for us, is this. God needs nothing. God needs nothing. That's the first thing we have to understand about God. He needs nothing. That sounds really impersonal. So let's work through that. Let's look at Acts 17, 24 through 25. And by the way, if, if you're, you're typically here this is, or you're new, 
you know, what you're probably, what you're used to if you're here is that we teach kind of through books of the Bible. We teach kind of verse by verse through full counsel of Scripture. Uh, through the summer, we typically take breaks. And so today you're going to see more of a, a teaching of, of a mosaic approach to Scripture as we kind of work through this idea of God's provision for us. And so we'll be kind of using more Scripture than typical uh, coming from different places. So here we go. As we're looking at God's, God needs nothing, Acts 17, 24 through 25. The God, it says this, the God God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what we see is this about God. God is fully satisfied in who he is in every way. He is fully sufficient for himself. He needs nothing. The big, you know, we look at around us and we look at the world and we may say the same about some people. You know, that, that we see some people that seem to be self-sufficient. And, and those people may say the same about themselves, that they're satisfied, they've achieved it, their hands have done it. The big difference is, is that they did not completely provide for themselves. Yes, there are some people that are very you know, that are very independent and very successful and have a lot and have done a lot by their own discipline and their own work and their own talent, and their own knowledge, their intellect. But yet, the big difference is they did not completely provide for themselves. Again, those things that they have were part of it, but where did that come from? Again, if, if we go back, they were created by God. Even, they, even what they have is provided by God. And then, the things that they, the, the, the resources they use to make what they have, where did that come from? And so again, they can't have this claim of complete sufficiency. And so if a person were to claim this for themselves, that they are, you know, if they were to claim that they are 100% self-satisfied by their own hand, it would reek of hubris and arrogance. It's like, uh, that just doesn't ring true. It can't be so. Like, no one is autonomous to themselves. It's not so for God to say it. There is no hubris and arrogance for God to say, I am self-sufficient. I satisfy, I am satisfied in myself. Verse 24, again, coming back, the creator is not dependent on the created. He created all, God, who made the world and everything in it. I've told you this before, but we, we had this little, this mini catechism that we talked to our kids about. We, all, we ask them, who created you? And they say, God. And then we say, what else did God create? And they say, everything. And then we say, why did God create you and everything else? And the answer is, for his glory. And so again, like God created all things. He created everything in the world. And so therefore, he doesn't need, the creator doesn't need something from the created. The creator is the creator. Verse 25 moves us on. And we see in there that God is never served by us in a way that suggests that he needs us, that he needs us to satisfy something for him, that he needs us to make him more whole and complete, that he's, it, it, God's, he, he, he is never served by us in a way that would say that is true. See, God exalts himself by being above having needs. So unlike the person who claims they are totally self-made, self-sustaining, and self-satisfying, when God reveals himself in this way, it is not arrogant because it is absolutely true. He is God. 
He is complete. He is sovereign. There is none like him. He is holy. So it's absolutely true. There's no one like him. There was no one worthy. Verse 25 also calls us to this characteristic of God. God is fundamentally, he is fundamentally a giver. And here's a good word, not a needer. (laughs) Right? God is fundamentally a giver. And wrap your head around that. Like, how often do we kind of have this posture that that God needs something from us and, and therefore he owes us something, which I'm actually getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but maybe you're used to that. Um... But he is fundamentally a giver, not a needer. We have to see that. And that has to matter to us. So why does it matter? In our flesh, we don't typically give something for nothing. We are, we are prone to transactional relationships. We are prone to position in ways that benefit us. Even in our selflessness, often we're motivated by how it makes us feel good. And again, I'm not trying to just poop on all of us. I just said that. That we're all just horrible all the time. But again, like, let's just be honest about what, our, what motives drive us. And, and again, in that is freedom. And again, let's just remember what we taught a few weeks ago. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's just remember that, pulling back to Romans 8. But again, at the same time, we have to be honest about what we see in ourselves. We are prone to transactional relationships. And maybe you've heard this kind of quippy thing said before. God created us in his image, and then we went and returned the favor and tried to create him in ours. Have you heard that before? So we too often ascribe our fleshly characteristics to God, and we think, well, because I am transactional, God's transactional. So therefore, what he does is so that he can require something of me, so that I owe him something, so that, so that he can kind of have me at his beck and call. And we miss the character of God. We, we, we malign his character when we, when we view that way. And so understanding this prevents God's God's work in this life and God's charge to our life to being one of transaction. That's why it's important. We must remember God is not like us. We are made like him and being made more like him, but he is not totally like us. Even in the day when all is restored, when either Christ returns or we return to him in our death, if we are saved, if we've confessed and believed, even in that day when, when, when every tear is wiped away, when there is no more sickness, no more pain, not only the penalty and power of sin is gone, but also the presence of sin is gone, even in that day, we will not be totally like God. There will still be mystery, and we should be grateful for that. So because God needs nothing from us, we can know what he provides is not meant to be repaid. Because we cannot repay. We cannot. Now, we do live a life unto him, but yet we cannot repay him. So we'll keep working through that. I like Piper's, John Piper's summary of these verses in Acts 17. He says, everything we need comes from him, and nothing he needs comes from us. He is infinitely resourceful. So hopefully you see this foundation, and, and, I, and I love that, that, again, once again, God has proven himself smarter than us, because over and over again in our history, we come up to these sermons, these, these messages on a Sunday that either fall in line perfectly with, with kind of the current moment. I can think of 
like on Valentine's Day, just by chance, we ended up on the, the husband and wife passage in Ephesians 5 in our first year, things like this. And just, this is such a perfect following of what Romans 8 ended us with in, in these last few weeks of Romans 8, of just kind of our assurance, how we have an assurance of who, of who we are in Christ and the work he's done in our life. That's what this is all about once again. And so we, when we see that God is infinitely resourceful, that he needs nothing from us, one of the greatest things that should come out of that is, is a, a move towards comfort and assurance, a move towards confidence and boldness, because he is infinitely resourceful and he needs nothing from us. He's, a, he's by nature, he's fundamentally a giver, not a needer. I love that word. So it is when we reveal, it's when we revel in the glory of God it's when we do that that we are in a position to rightly receive his glorious provision. If you really want to understand God's provision, it's got to start with, the, with him. You've got to, you've got to again, it's, and it's a work he does in you, but you've got to pursue and surrender and submit and say, God, awaken in me this all of you. Let there be nothing more inspiring and humbling and emboldening and, and, and stirring and life-giving than your glory. Let there be nothing I desire more than your glory. Because again, if that's where we start, then we are in a place to actually understand and receive his provision to, to the result of joy and contentment. So if we are to understand God's glorious provision, we must understand that God needs nothing from us in order for him to be whole or content. So God is a giver, not a needer. Let's go deeper into that. Giver, not a needer. The second thing we must understand about God to understand his glorious provision is this. God did not come to be served. So God does not need from us, and God did not come to be served. Mark 10, 43 and 4 through 45 says this, But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only just to serve, but also to give his life. God took on flesh in his Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man we see referenced here. And he entered into our need. He didn't just throw some coin at it. He entered into it. He entered into our need. He entered into our need to meet our need. Verse 45 says, The Son of Man came from heaven not to be served. He could have come and just forced us all to bow down in subjugation and just... And just to grovel before him and, and, and to cast judgment because that's what's deserved. But yet he came to serve, to meet our need. We also see God did not come to be served. The Son of Man came to serve us specifically to give his life to pay our debt. And just a couple of chapters earlier in Philippians, there's a beautiful picture of this as Paul is calling us, the church, on how we should be like Christ he said he humbled himself, took on the form of a man, and, and not only did that, but actually took on death, and not just death, but death on a cross to the glory of God the Father. 
And so we see, we see this posture of selflessness. The context of this reference in Mark, this context of what's happening here in this Gospel of Mark, is James and John were asking Jesus to be placed at a position of power and prestige at his right and left hand when they are all together in heaven, the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is pointing out in his response is that he, he didn't, he didn't do what he did so that he could be set up on a throne to have power over everyone. He already had that power. He was already worthy of that. No, Jesus is saying that what I did was to cover your need. That's what I did. That's why I did what I did. So when James and John asked for this, they were showing their ignorance of what Jesus had come for and what their purpose was. As his disciples, and praise God, there's a lot of grace because Jesus continued to bring them along and have patience and to correct and speak truth and give them opportunity. And he said, hey, as I leave, the church will be built upon you. I'm leaving this to you. And he gave the Holy Spirit to lead them. So again, much grace in their ignorance, but also God proclaims his truth of like, hey, this is not what I came for. I came to serve. So beware, beware that you never serve Jesus as though he needed anything. Again, he didn't come to fulfill his need with you, but to meet all of your need with his death. So serve because Jesus is worthy. Serve Jesus because you have tasted the divine, overwhelming love and grace of his love and sacrifice. We must remember the nature of God and that he is totally satisfied, as we said, in himself and is by nature a giver, not a needer. So here we see that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He came to satisfy all of our need. And then he left us with this opportunity to serve as he did to meet others' needs. Because we, we are in him. So understanding these two things about who God is sets us up rightly to understand our thesis passage and statement for today. That statement is God will supply every need we have. God will supply every need we have. So we come back to Philippians 4, 19 and 20. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there it is, plain as day, no parsing it out. Verse 19, God promises to supply our every need, but what we have to see is it's not our every whim. He promises to supply our every need, but not our every whim, not our every, not our every longing, not our every want. When we understand the character of God and understand the posture of Jesus in which he came, we see that, that, that we, as God's creation, which he created for his purpose, and that, that we have been redeemed in Christ and for Christ, when we see these things, we start to see that there is a vast difference between want or whim and need. There is a vast difference so like I said earlier, we most often connect provision to material things, to money and things that money can buy, right? And, and we're often driven 
for, for, for the things that money can buy again. What, and some of them are like, there's a lot of good things that money can buy. It's not that, that money's not bad. Using money's not bad. Like, it's a gift from God and we should be grateful. But yet, when we elevate them to the things that satisfy, that's when we mistake what we want for what we need. I, was, I went and saw a movie um, just recently, and there was a preview. I wish I could remember the name of this documentary, but it's a preview for a documentary, and it's this documentarian kind of looking at the, the wealth culture in America. If anybody knows the name of it, throw it out. It looks really amazing. And it's, they're interviewing all these people that are just, just like, have exorbitant wealth. They've, they've got it all, and, and they're talking about what drives them. And they're, they're overall, I mean, I, I, this is like, you know, put out by media, by the world. And, and the, kind of the statement is, is that stuff, what is it? Generation wealth. Yes, I don't know when it comes out. Do you know when it comes out? Oh, thanks. There's your, there's your starting point. Um, I'll go see it. You can go see it with me when it comes out. Um, but the kind of the general underlying message is like they're never satisfied. And there's this one soundbite right at the end by one of the people that she's, that she's uh, following and, 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 and kind of working with. And the guy says, and this is a bit of my paraphrase because I heard it and then I tried to remember it later, but said this. It said, uh, if you think money will bring you peace and get you everything you need, you have obviously never had money. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to remember that. Because it was like two days ago. I was like, this is, anyway. So, um, but it, it's just, when, when we think about provision and, and like wants versus needs, we, we go to that physical tangible. We go to the, the things. This promise must go deeper than things because what we all know when we're honest and what we see over and over again in story after story of life is that those things never satisfy. It's never enough. This promise also must go deeper than just comfort. We often put so much energy just to maintaining our comfort that, that we have a safe little space to, to occupy in our lives. Just prior to these verses, Paul was talking about the work God has done in him to help him be content in any situation. And Paul has experienced it all. So Paul's like, whether I have little or whether I have plenty, I, have, I am content. To put it in my terms, whether I'm living on ramen and PB&J or kind of like one of my markers of, of like comfort and you know, things that I find myself, like this two-month-long European tour, like the freedom to travel like the, and the resource to do that. That's something that often kind of seems far off to me that I often feel like, man, I, how, can we, how come other people get to do that? So anyway, just like, so it's like the, I have found the secret of contentment regardless of my circumstance, whether I have little or whether I have plenty. Those things don't bear any weight on whether or not I have joy and whether or not I am content. So here's the promise of this passage, and here's what it's saying. God will provide everything you need, yes, to live out the purpose you were created for and to live it out in the manner you were meant to live it out. And in that, you have full joy and peace. We were created for God's glory, for his purpose. We were meant to live it out in the manner of the Messiah. He showed us in his life. They've showed us, and we've been shown in his word, and we've been given the Holy Spirit to empower our lives towards that. That's what God will provide our every need for. And in that is where peace, joy, 
comfort, security, and contentment lies. Everything we have is a gift from God. We don't receive anything we need apart from the sovereign grace of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So if you find yourself not satisfied or content, you have a few opportunities. And I just had a story pop into my head, a moment pop into my head. And I think I've, again, talked about it before as well, but it was pretty formative in my life. I was in Ecuador um, doing some ministry, and we went to this city dump um, where people lived, and they sorted trash for their living, and they lived amongst the trash. They would build their abodes kind of out of the trash. And we were setting up our, our evangelistic presentation and I needed something to set the sound system on, and I see this broken down rickety table over there in the trash pile, and I go and grab it, and I'm setting up, and this lady emerges from the trash pile, and she's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm happy that you're using the table, but I just want you to know that that's, that's my table, so please make sure to return it when you finish. And then I look up and I realize, like, it was her house. Like, I had taken the table from her house and, like, she had walked out of this, like, tarps and, and um, pallets and stuff that kind of built their little shelter. And then as I got to talking to her, this, this woman was full of joy, the joy and peace of the Lord. She was a Christ follower and she was, like, so content. And she started ministering to me. Like, I walked out, I was like, what is happening? I'm supposed to be here, like, bringing the life and light and the hope of Jesus. And, like, I've got everything to offer because all these people are broke down and, and poor and unhappy. And all of a sudden, she comes out, and she is just, like, dripping with grace and fulfillment and contentment and love. And, I mean, the overarching message was Jesus is all that I need. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so there's like the perfect picture of what we're being promised here. That this contentment we're talking about comes when we see that the circumstances or what we have is not what ultimately satisfies. You know, what can it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Again, God cares for the heart. He takes care of our soul. He's wanting to redeem us and restore us. And he's not just wanting to make us comfortable and happy for a few decades. And so there's a promise of contentment and fulfillment, peace, joy, all of those things when we understand what we were created for. So if you find yourself not satisfied, there's a few opportunities. First is do some humble heart work. Allow the Lord to reveal if there is any area in your life not submitted to him, any any area of sin, any area of idolatry, surrender. Say, Lord, help make, make my way known to me. Help me know my way. And as he does, confess, repent, and set a course. Because if you're finding yourself just struggling to be content, it could just be because there's sin in your life. And that causes discord. And even if you're doing some good things and you're in some good places, just that is going to still that sense of contentment and joy. When I was 19, I, I was running from God because he was actually trying to call me to ministry. And I was so disobedient. like I, I was like denying it and disobedient to that good thing 
But it got to the point where I was like truly doubting my salvation because I just had like, because like nothing tasted good. Like every bit of like pleasure in, the, in life was gone. And it was because I was disobedient because there was a sinful posture of me saying no to what God was leading me to. And, and the day that I surrendered my life to God's call on my life to ministry was, was just, and maybe even to a greater sense, just for whatever reason, than my day of salvation, you know, five years prior. And it was because I just stepped into obedience. I stepped into God's will and surrendered and said, your way is better than mine. And it was amazing. And so, again, just if you have, so I would just say that's your first stop. Is like, Lord, just make my way known to me. If there's anything wayward, if there's anything sinful, if there's any idolatry, reveal it to me and give me the courage and humility to surrender because I know that your way is better. Um, and then also start with who God is. Dwell on who you are in him and what you were created for. Ask this question, what is it that you don't have right now that would prevent you from living out the identity and purpose given to you in Christ as you were created for by God? Is there anything that you don't have that could prevent that from happening? It is so core. Is there anything that you, that you could be without that would prevent you from doing that? And I, and I just give you a quick illustration to show you a picture. There's nothing that I could have or not have that would help me or hinder me from living out what it is to be Amber's husband. I am Amber's husband. There's been a covenantal commitment, and I am Amber's husband. There's nothing, whether we were to lose everything or gain everything, none of that would add to or prevent me from actually living the way God intended for me to be Amber's husband. It's a matter of identity. It's a matter of a work done unto me. Me being married informs how I navigate my circumstances, not vice versa. It's the same thing. You being redeemed in Christ, reclaimed as his creation and restored into his image, that, that informs how you navigate what you have and don't have. We were created by God out of his love for his glorious, glorious purpose, and he's restored us in Christ. We were adopted as sons and daughters. We're made co-heirs with Christ to the glorious riches of his grace. We're given new names, new hope, new life, new purpose, which is his purpose, Christ's purpose, and a new ending to our story, a new confidence. We live in a beautiful yet fallen world where trial and pain will come. It's a guarantee. God provides all we need to live as those who know and experience all of the above to be true despite whatever happens. So that's what we see. That's why we see what we see in verse 20. Verse 20 ends with worship to the God who provides for us. The more we recognize the glory of God, the more content we will be. The more God's glory is revealed through our lives, the more the world who is seeking security and satisfaction in temporal things, the more they will be wooed to the freedom of repentance and belief. And they will find true satisfaction. You want to benefit the world? Yes, use the work of your hands. But pursue being in awe of God. Pursue the person of God. So God doesn't need anything from us. He came to serve, not to be served in the Son of Man. And he promises to satisfy all we need according to the riches in Christ Jesus for his glory. 
So this brings us to one last question that we'll close with. It will be a primer for what we look at next week as Kurt talks to us about our stewardship of all that has been provided for us. So with all this being true, there's one question that comes to my mind and, and, and maybe some of yours. Can we actually serve God then? Can we serve God? 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, as, we, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to answer our question, can we actually serve God? Yes, of course we can. Why do I say of course we can? We can say that because it's commanded throughout Scripture. We wouldn't be commanded to do something if we couldn't do it, right? That would be mean. It would be, it would be cruel. It would be illogical and insane. So, of course, we know we can because we're commanded to it over and over again. We can, and so we've learned, though, that we need to have our idea of what it means to serve God totally transformed. So here's the key. Every time you put forward effort to serve God, that is, whatever you do in the name of Christ, your effort is being supplied by God. Again, he's a giver, not a needer. So even though he's commanded us to serve, he's provided for us what we need to do to fulfill that command. Pretty amazing. So the F, that effort should be a conscience one. It should be one that you are active, not just passive, not even just opportunistic, but that you are active in pursuing living under Christ in your life. We pray for the strength of God, God serving us in order to live for his glory, us serving God. So waiting for God to work for us involves activity. We've said this a lot. We're never passive in our waiting, in our dependency on God. This kind of waiting requires all kinds of serving, but all of that serving in the strength and grace that God supplies and this is so that, this is why it matters, this is so that he receives all the glory. I love what Paul says elsewhere. I think it's in one of the, in one of the Corinthians, and kind of a paraphrase. In my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Because when God's work is accomplished through our lives, when, in the areas that we don't have ability and we are weak, it is all the more obvious that he has done it and he deserves the glory. 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So I pray that, again, like I said, that we revel in the person of God and his glory, understanding God to be satisfied completely by who he is, and that he came to serve and meet our every need instead of having us to meet some need that makes him whole. This liberates us to live a life unto him with joy, peace, and purpose in season and out, in famine and in plenty. Even as we serve his purpose, he provides all we need. So there's an invitation. is just come to God and be satisfied. He has promised to do so. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Let us long like that 
and let us be satisfied in what he provides for his purpose in our lives. So God, we love you. We thank you once again for your love for us. We thank you how you showed us that love so greatly in Christ. We thank you for this promise that you will supply our every need, God. You will supply our every need, Lord, according to to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that it's, it's unto you. And Lord, we pray that through this life you would be glorified. So let us remember now the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, the life that was laid down and raised again, and that it would be our joy that we are invited to lay down our life and find new life and hope and full contentment and satisfaction in you as given in Christ. So Lord, work in this time. Give us unity in Jesus' name. Amen.